Hello there and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is great to be with y'all. My name is Robert, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State. And here with me on this beautiful, sunny spring day in Washington, Mr. Will Stockdale, also a Ministry Associate with Ministry of State. Will, how are you doing on this just beautiful day? Well, let me tell you, I'm doing all right. Um, I received some news when I got home last night um, on my on my front door. I had an Amazon package waiting for me uh, that was addressed to Uncle Will. And inside of it was a book titled uh, The Uncle Book, Everything You Need to Know to Be a Kid's Favorite Relative. And I immediately called my sister and asked her, please don't tell me this means that you're getting another Corgi. And uh, <laughs> she said, no, that she and her husband are expecting in October. Dude, and that's so, awesome. Yeah. So it was, it was just a really sweet, really exciting moment. Um, kind of, kind of emotional also. Yeah. It, um, it, it hit kind of heavy in a wonderful way. Um so I, I imagine if you get find out news you're going to be a father, it's that it's that much more <laughs> amplified. But it was really sweet. So we talked on the phone for a long time last night. We caught up and had a really great chat and um, been talking. But that was an exciting piece of news. That That's awesome, expecting. dude. Yeah. Well, you'll be a great uncle, uh, James. No, I'll just be a regular uncle. Great uncles with. Uh, Oh, oh, that's right. That's how it works. Is that an uncle joke? Not a dad joke, <laughs> but an uncle, uncle Well, you'll be an awesome uncle because uh, uh, James still talks about the Legos that you got him for his birthday Gosh. a year ago. So, and uh, he does, he already calls you Uncle Will. So you'll be, you'll be even a better uncle to your actual nephew. Uh, so that's awesome. Congratulations. That's Thanks. And congratulations to your sister. That's, that's fabulous news. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, we uh, had some stuff we wanted to talk about today. Will, you in particular, we had a staff meeting about a week ago, and uh, you led a really good sort of uh, mini devotional uh, through uh, some chapters in, in Isaiah, and you, you referenced uh, a book that you're reading um, that I know has had a pretty big impact on you uh, as of late, um, and specifically um, the way it talks about the cross. And so I kind of wanted to tee that up for you. I think we, we want to talk about the cross today. I think it's something that we kind of take for granted as Christians, the, uh, a theology of the cross or really the, the idea of um, the cross as where, where Christ suffered. And so I wanted to kind of tee it up that way and just kind of kick it over to you. What have you been reading about the cross and what is something that you would want to share with people uh, about uh, the cross? Yeah, so in some ways, what I've been thinking about is really just ultimately a plug for John Stott's book, the cross of Christ, um, which he published originally in 1986. And then it was republished in 2006. And I think they just came out with the centennial of his birth edition, which is a really beautiful book. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's one of those books that is incredibly uh, beautifully written. It's a blend of biblical theology and systematic theology and, historical theology. It's definitely got uh, some preaching overtones in it where you can see his pastoral sensibilities come out, but also like uh, pastor preaching illustrations, kind of a homiletical tone. You can tell that he's used some of this material before in his sermons. Um, but one of the things that he starts out that really struck me at the beginning of the book was 
the church did not have to choose the cross as its number one emblem or symbol. Um, the ichthus, the, the fish was, was one. Um, they could have chosen a crown, even a crown of thorns. Uh, they could have chosen a throne. They could have chosen an empty tomb. But the church chose the cross. And when thinking about it and understanding what the cross meant in that time, uh, if you're seeking to be a people viewed as legitimate, it's not real. It's, it's not really what you'd want to, to choose. Like, it's almost like if you want to be a gang of rabble rousers, outsiders, uh, zealot um, Sicarii, you know, who are trying to overthrow the Roman government, then yeah, you choose like a super punk rock thing like the cross. But, but when you look at what the early church actually did and you look at the way that they lived and you read the letters and, um, they gathered together and broke bread. They gathered to pray. They cared during plagues and famines. They, I was just reading in Acts 8, where it talks about the men lamented, lamenting over Stephen's martyrdom. And so you get this posture of a, of a, a group that like, okay, they chose a symbol that was so disgraceful, so despicable, so painful and grueling what did they understand about themselves? How did they consider their identity and their purpose in the world? Um, and then, of course, what does that mean for us today? And how do we think of it? Um, but so, I mean, first of all, I just say I recommend this book to you as it let it nourish your soul and soak it up. Um, um, you, you, you sense a man who not only really loves Jesus, but my goodness, is he grateful for that cross mm-hmm. and what it's done? Um, and there's so many things that we, I mean, it, it's, it's inexhaustible. The cross is, is, you can't get to the bottom of it and all that it has done. But um, the church chose that symbol to be definitive of who they were and how they saw themselves living in the world. So yeah, that, 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 that's just some opening initial thoughts on the cross. And um, of course, you know, we see it now on necklaces and um, we see it as, as decoration Um we see it, of course, as sacred, ancient, holy relics. There are all these things, um, and but it has become ubiquitous in a way that we take for granted, like you said. But initially, wouldn't uh, it would have it would have been so so counterintuitive to to choose this means, right? Yeah, I mean, I think of I think what you're getting at is is really well expressed in First Corinthians one, right, where uh, uh, Paul writes. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Um, yeah, it's, I like the idea of, you know, you choosing the cross as your symbol, such a, an image of, of really, uh, gore and, and I mean, crucifixion is a dirty business. Um, so in, in fact, you, you try to think of, um, sort of modern day analogs to what that would be, you know, uh, like an electric chair, which is still in some ways more humane than, than the cross. And, 
um, it does get this sort of like, it, it, it has these kind of metal un- undertones, right? Like it's, it's punk, it's, it's metal. And I, I know that was a kind of a big thing a couple of years ago, people were bringing up, but it's not in a reactionary kind of way. Right. But it is sort of embracing that, that, that foolishness of the world um, that Paul talks about here. Um, and it's a, it is a, a in a way, um, looking at the things that the world calls powerful, the thing, the things that the world calls wise and recognizing that God, God makes the, you know, the earth's wisdom look like foolishness and what we perceive to be foolish is actually God's wisdom at work. Um, and I think that's what we see at the cross is that God's ways, um, we don't always understand, but we see how they're better, um, than anything that we could imagine. Um, and that's hard for us to, to wrap our heads around, but the, the cross is really a great, um, example of that and to think about the the foolishness to the world we consider that the cross was not incidental to christ's mission um when from from genesis you get imagery that that is foreshadowing of the cross you get uh the first adam naked before a tree having failed at on Golgotha, you have the second Adam naked on a tree, fulfilling the will of the father, the covenant that he has made with his people to bring them to redemption, that taking place. You get uh, the side of Adam's rib, you get from Adam's side, a rib coming out and a woman, you get on the cross, you get his side being pierced and blood water coming out where his rib is. What is that? Well, it's baptism into the church. We could elaborate on that, probably would need to uh, more, but you realize that it was not just an accidental means. And you mentioned with the cross, like we can maybe compare it to the electric chair or something, but you know, the electric chair is not meant to be a torture emblem. Mm. It's not meant to shame people. We don't do that anymore. We put, I mean, a gallows might be closer, but even Mm. a gallows is, is more quick Um, drawn and quartered might be a more, which is a, I'll let you look it up listener. (laughs) You you know, I won't, I don't want to describe it here, Uh, but something like that. Um, it, it is a grotesque image. And um, when we read something like Isaiah 53, and we think of the promise of the, uh, as it's titled there, he who was pierced for our transgressions, and thinking about all that God had planned and Jesus understood, and all that it fulfilled for us is, is quite, um, is quite overwhelming. Yeah. I also think of, um, you know, Luther sort of had a dialectic where between the theology of the cross and the theology of glory. And that's kind of the way that he, he would talk about, um, as Christians in light of what has happened on the cross, how ought we, how ought we live, um, and think about our salvation. And, um, I think one of the things that Luther saw in the church at the time, uh, was what he called the theology of glory and, and in it, what he saw, um, was people, I think, forsaking the the call that we all have as as disciples of the one crucified um, to carry on carry up our own cross and to suffer um, for him as for Christ as well um, in this world. And um, I wonder if that's something you know it, it, that's a hard thing to grapple with with that we are called to um, suffer as as our Savior suffered. Um, in this world. And 
how, you know, where, whereas Jesus is in the garden praying, you know, uh, Lord, please let this cup pass from me. But if it's your will, you know, I, I will, I will do it where we tend to be sort of Lord, take this cup from me. I, do, I don't want to do this. Please don't make me do this um, and try to avoid it. You know, how, how does that still play out today? Even, you know, as far removed from the reformation as we are, you know, how are we as Christians today still, you know, trying to, you know, appreciate what Christ did for on the cross for us, but also kind of running away from our own call um, to uh, suffer and uh, to suffer persecution. Yeah. I, I think we can be quick to point out the, what we see as a speck in someone else's eye of not taking this seriously enough while ignoring the log in our own eye in a number of ways. And by that, I mean, like, we, we might need to say, you know, you need to suffer more or even like you appreciate suffering too much. You are self-flagellating, you know, trying to atone for your sins. So I, you know, I think in some sense, there is a level of personal conscience here um, of, 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 as in um, how is one to embrace one's own suffering? I think that um, it, it is, it can be very easy to, uh, you hear stories like of, um, the church in the West versus the persecuted church and the persecuted mm. church uh, is, is less likely to pray that the persecution stops. Um, it is not something that is sought after. It's not something that's, that's um, pursued, but it is something that is understood as what it means to follow Christ. I mean, one of the things that Paul says is I want to, uh, he wanted to know and share in Christ's sufferings. He rejoiced over getting to do that. And that, I mean, candidly, that scares me to say, like, I don't, I don't, I don't get excited about saying that. Um, but I do think my initial reaction to suffering uh, is not, Lord, thank you that I, that I in some small way get to share what you're sharing. Um, but I think when I'm not like that, it probably exposes a lot of selfishness in my heart because um, I'm, what's the ultimate measure of a man? In a lot of ways, I think it's me. Like I'm the ultimate measure of a man and I shouldn't be suffering because I should be content. But if, if the ultimate measure of a man is Jesus, if he's the ultimate measure of what the good life looks like of what um, life means of what we're promised, then that changes, I think, how we, how we interact and engage with our conditions and circumstances. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I saw a, um, an image that was shared on online uh, this past week, I think. And it was just a picture of all the, the um, disciples and uh, you know, the faith that they all um, or essentially what, how they all died. Um, and, you know, John gets off easy by exile. I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing you take away from it is that John had it pretty nice being exiled alone to die in, on an island um, where, you know, as the rest of them were all, many of them themselves crucified, um, but also suffered horrible deaths. And I think one of the things that, um, that I wrestle with is that um, I, I, I think that I do appreciate what Christ did for me on the cross. And I appreciate the gravity of that and the, and the, the suffering that he, that he took on for, on my behalf. Um, but I, I don't often see that as sort of, okay, 
that's that's where I'm headed in a sense. In, in a sense, um, if because following my disciple me, or following my savior means following him to the cross. Um, now that doesn't mean I'm looking. You know, I'm necessarily going to be martyred. I don't. I don't. You know, living in America in 2022, that that seems increasingly not going to be the case um, for most of us. Um, but there will be times where we will be called to suffer and we will be called to follow our savior, um, in that direction. Um, and I think you're right in that, um, we don't, we don't often ponder what that means or, um, the, the, the joy that comes with being able to, to share, uh, in the suffering of Christ, uh, and, and on his behalf. And I think that that's, that's a really important thing to remember that all these disciples went to their executions, um, not, you know, you know, cheerfully in the sense that they were really excited this was happening, but they were, they did share a joy that they, that they had the opportunity to do that. And I think that's a really sort of radical notion that especially today, we just don't quite grasp Mm. the whole way. Um, there's another thing I want to talk about here on the, about the cross, because I don't know if Stott gets into this at all, but I think we tend to th- focus on sort of the physical pain that Christ suffered on the cross, which obviously is terrible and horrible, but it, the Bible really emphasizes, I think also the separation that Christ feels from, from the father on the cross. And I think we, we don't quite always get that because that's hard for us to sort of imagine because we don't, we don't have that. So what is did Stott get into that at all? Yeah, he does. He spends a lot of time with the cry of dereliction, as as it's called. So where Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he gets in and analyzes uh, a multiple um, approaches people have had, because it, it can be a troubling um, passage for some people. And, and the question of our Trinitarian theology comes in. And so was the, was the Trinity divided? The, did the Trinity become the, the do it, the, the, the <laughs> entity, the, the two, you know? Um, and so how do we, how do we think about that? And um, I think, yeah, one of the things that Christ took on for us on the cross was experiencing a level of wrath and separation that as believers, we will never have to approach, mm-hmm. never, never have to come within a million miles of and that was part of the agonizing yeah i heard one i think uh, someone who said um did jesus die in only three hours because of the spiritual hmm. toll that was taken on his body of course he was fogged he was beaten he was mocked there are all those other things of course but we we have to understand that the um spiritual beating that was on him was vastly more than anybody ever had to endure. And the fact that it took three hours maybe is shocking actually with all that, that he had uh, on him. So. Yeah. I mean, separation from, from the father separation from God is in a sense, the very definition of hell. I mean, it is, it is what the punishment um, of those who, who uh, uh, turn from the Lord um, it's, it's what they want and it's what they get. Um, but it's, it is a, it's a punishment. It's an experience that, that believers will not experience. Um, and, 
um, to to fathom that that Christ um, experienced that is in, for on our behalf is just incredibly deep and powerful and something um, you know I think worth meditating on. I think probably uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion because it's so gory and it's so bloody. Um, I think it's done a lot for people to focus on the physical aspect of what happened on the cross, but it's not been very helpful. I don't think in terms of, uh, understanding that, that spiritual element of, of what happened on the cross. That's probably what yeah, I would. It's one of those things, how do you, how do you depict that in a, yeah. in a movie? I think what you're saying is you don't because it's oh, a violation of the second commandment, but that's just, that's my, that's Presbyterian in me coming out. Okay. Oh my, okay. okay. We'll talk about exceptions at another point, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think when you um, consider what Christ went there, I think one of the reasons we are able to take glory in the cross and realize that we're sharing in Christ's sufferings is that even when we do suffer, even when we do look to that cross and say, I get to experience something like Christ did, he, he took care of all of it. Mm. And so um, there is still a great sense of gratitude that... Uh, and I don't want to trivialize anybody's pain, but even the deepest pain anyone's going to going through has been swallowed up and exceeded by what Christ went through. And I think that's one of the reasons we can appreciate. And I think that prevents us from viewing our suffering as some kind of atonement or penance mm. and allows it to be something like a sharing because his is so total and complete. Um, but we get to, you know, um, it's like almost a doctrine of imitation in a way as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So therefore we are imitating Christ in, in, in this type of participation and suffering. Um, yeah. I mean, when we're in the midst of suffering, it's so easy to sort of despair and think that, well, this is, this is all consuming. This is everything there is. It's just this suffering and it's in this pain, especially suffering and pain that, that, you know, I'm thinking of diseases or things like that, that, you know, kind of leads to death, but you know, the, the joy of the Christian doctrine and the, and the Christian theology of the cross is that because of what Christ did on the cross, our suffering is not the end of the story that there, that there is life after um, suffering, that there's actual salvation and redemption um, in Christ because of what he did on the cross. And so not, and again, I don't want to trivial, trivialize suffering or pain when, when we're in it, 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 it is incredibly despairing. And it, it, it does seem to um, subsume everything else that's going on in our life. But, you know, the, the testimony of the early church, in particular, the martyrs was that, you know, there was a willingness to sort of mock it and laugh at it because, especially death, because they knew it wasn't the end. They knew that there was life after death. And um, even at all the horrible things that they suffered uh, in, you know, the Colosseum and, and other things that they were able to kind of see past that suffering, to see past the, the immediacy of that to what was promised and to cling to those promises because of what was done on the cross, um, I think is something that, um, even if, you know, none of us will approach that level of suffering, the things that we do suffer through will seem incredibly important to us, and they are. Um, but to also remember that, um, just as uh, those martyrs sort of persevered 
through it because of what they clung to, um, we can do the same, even if we don't necessarily reach the same fate. Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. Yeah. And I think one last thing I would say is think about how this applies to us today in like a day-to-day context where, um, the suffering, uh, that, that word can be so broadly used. What exactly does it mean? Um, Christ says that he, he, in, he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Mm. And so that is part of what allowed for the endurance. And I think for us as well, there's a joy that we are to look to in that joy is there and is necessary because in the moment of suffering, there's a sense of powerlessness. There's a sense of being emptied of agency and power. Um, uh, and, and I think for us, probably the closest thing that we get in a lot of ways is mockery or ridicule or being lied about or slandered. Um, and there are so many avenues and means for us to retaliate in kind in that way. Uh, you can you can do a blog post, you can have a podcast, you can tweet something, you can, you know, whatever, um, and really let people have it. You know, you really get back at them. You can, you can be in a conversation with someone and you can, I can't believe they said that to me. I'm really going to get them. I'm really going to. Um, but of course what happens, then you have to apologize as a Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. and so then you have to not only eat crow, but suffer again and take it back. I mean, so as you know, there is a sense the old which, one, two. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's double God's trying to the Holy spirit, you know, and, and saying, Hey, just endure this as a way. Don't fall into sin in this, um, suffer. Well is a prevention of further pain really, um, of ways out that, and, and I, you know, I think about family, you know, there's some stuff that comes up with family sometimes, or, you, you know, you get confusion or, uh, you get, um, conflict and you really like, oh man, I know stuff about you that I could really just let you have it. Or you consider a coworker who's doing something that's like, man, I saw how you behaved last week and I really could come back at you. And, um, as, as Christians in a way, I think, um, I don't know if we get to do that. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if we get to, to be that, that way. Um, as Chuck has said before, as Paul, quoting Paul, why not suffer wrong? <laughs> and um, it makes me uncomfortable because I, I think you got to work out the ethics of that, of how does that exactly look? Especially when you're talking about family relationships or marriages or responsibilities. If someone works on the Hill, they have a duty to be rep- to, to defend their member to an extent. Um, but I think as Christian, this is, Christians, this is what makes it tough is we have these, we have these poles that are kind of pulling at each other and we have to figure out what it means to walk wisely um, but to part of the reason we suffer is because of the commands God has given us uh, of what it means to love our neighbor and, you know, love and sacrifice go together and yeah, that's what's fully shown us on the cross. Yeah. Such a good word. Um, uh, I really, I really appreciate, um, this opportunity to sort of return to things that I just take for granted, like the cross, um, and to really reflect on them because they are really deep and powerful and have incredible application, um, for, uh, my daily life. Uh, so thank you, Will, for, uh, kind of prompting, uh, this conversation on the cross. Um, I think we'll kind of land the plane here, uh, unless you have anything else you wanted to add. Well, there's so much, I mean, in a way, this was such a cursory conversation about the right. cross. We didn't even talk about the atonement. Um, we didn't even talk about the problem of evil. We didn't talk about reconciliation. We didn't talk about uh, blood sacrifice. Uh, uh, blood sacrifice. I mean, high pre. I mean, the, the thing is, there's so much there, and we recognize that we fell 
this wasn't an attempt to be exhaustive on the cross, of course. It was an attempt to tap into it and realize just how much it should mean to our lives and to look to that and just treasure it. I saw a quote that, and I guess we ended up really talking about suffering here, which I don't know if it was the plan, but that's kind of where we went. And yeah, when you talk about the cross, I think you talk about suffering. <laughs> right. No, no, it's great. And, I, and there's a, there was a tweet, um, Tim Keller said it, and I heard someone else say it um, before. So the Holy Spirit must've been working for me to hear this. <laughs> but it was for every one time that you look at your sins, consider sins five times, 10 times, look at the wounds of Christ. Mm. And I think for us, for every one time we think about our struggles that we're going through, we look to Jesus mm. and we look to him on the cross, not, not to minimize anything in us, but to rejoice in this beautiful love that is there that we get to participate in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the right way to suffer. Um, yeah. And, and, and not, um, I think it just provides um, meaning and, and just enriches our relationship. For sure. Well, reflecting on the cross is something we will do for eternity. I mean, um, we didn't really dive into this either, but, you know, I think one of the most powerful things for me in in reading the gospels is seeing that um, Christ in his glorified body still bears the marks of the cross. Um, There are things that will be there because it happened and it it accomplished something and they'll be there. Um, And and, in glory, we will see them. And like Thomas, perhaps we, we, each will touch those wounds and see what Christ did for us. Um, and I think that that to, to realize that, that the, the idea of the cross, the image of the cross is not going away. It will be with, with us forever um, because it is where Christ um, reconciled us to the father and atoned for our sins. Um, and I think that's really important as well. So, um, well, as always, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD has the wills at Stockdale will. Uh, make sure to leave us a review and subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends, your coworkers, uh, your family, whoever. Um, and as always, we will see you guys again next week. <laughs>